Good evening. Uh, as I said at the beginning, my name is Tom. If you weren't with us, I'm one of the curates here at Holy Trinity. It's a really uh, wonderful privilege to be preaching to you on Easter Sunday. First time I've preached on Easter Sunday. So, um, yeah, really wonderful privilege. And it is the most exciting day of the year because it's FA Cup semi-final day. Joking. <laughs> Joking. It is Easter Sunday, and you don't need me to tell you that this is the major day in the church's calendar, in the Christian calendar, because without it, we don't have a faith, quite simply, do we? The whole message of the gospel stands or falls on the truth that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul even says in one of his letters in the New Testament, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. That's pretty stark, isn't it? Your faith is futile without the resurrection. This is vital. Now, tonight I'm not going to try and convince you that the resurrection happened. Um, I'm assuming it did. God tells me it did. I believe it did. Um, I, I think I believe Richard preached a really excellent sermon last year in the morning, Easter Sunday, about if you want to know uh, about like a case for the resurrection, do go back and listen to that. I encourage you to do it. It's online. He talks about why the resu- why we can be confident in saying the resurrection happens. That's not what we're thinking about tonight. Tonight, I want to tell you why the resurrection matters to you. And to do that, I'm going to use the medium of one of my favourite things, cake. Bet you're not surprised. Football and pudding in one sermon. If there's any day you'll let me get away with that, it's Easter Sunday. Uh, Have any of you been watching the Netflix show, Is It Cake? Yeah? Oh yeah, there's some shouts at the back. Uh, It is what it sounds like. I'm not going to try and explain it. I mean, it it is insane. It is absolutely insane. Um, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a clip. Just watch the clip. It'll explain everything. That is literally the whole program. <laughs> it's such a weird idea, isn't it? But it really works. It's c- compelling viewing. I wonder if anybody here reckons they could do that. Um, I did ask Meg and my wife to try and bake one for today, but um, not a good request, apparently. So. Um, uh, essentially, the question they're asking is, who is the best person at making cakes look like ordinary things? I mean, the guy said it in there. People are saving lives, and that's what I can do. The skill levels are unreal. You watch it, and you find yourself saying, no, that's definitely a rubber duck. That's definitely a rubber duck. It can't be a cake. And you see this guy slice through it. It's amazing. It is sometimes you just think it's too good to be true. And really, that is what the whole show is asking that question. Is it too good to be true? And so often, I think, when we approach the resurrection, that is the same question that we ask ourselves. Is it, is it too good to be true? We intellectually believe it, we accept it, we rationally accept it, but we, somehow we don't buy that it's fully true for us. If you're anything like me, you kind of rationalise it and you say, sure, okay, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, he saved me from my sins and that one day, you know, I'll go to heaven, I'll be with him forever. But let's be real, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, every day I still mess up, every day I suck at being a good person, I still get worried about stuff, I still kind of am in fear about the future. We accept that the resurrection is true, that we're saved, but surely it's too good to be fully true for us. We don't doubt that it happened, but we don't embrace the life-changing implications 
that the resurrection has for us here and now today. It's too good to be true. I want to suggest tonight that this is a position that cannot hold. It's a contradiction in terms. Either it's true or it's not. And if it is true, if it is true, then it's true for you. So tonight, I'd love us to look at Luke's account of the resurrection together so we can understand that the resurrection is real and that its truth floods into every single part of our lives. We're going to just dive into the Bible now in Luke chapter 24. Um, I really encourage you to have a Bible open if you can, whether you've got it um, on uh, an app on your phone. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Or we do have some Bibles at the back. We've got some brand new Bibles. So wave a hand if you like a brand new Bible. It's never been opened before. Yeah, we've got a couple at the front. Thanks, guys. You'll get Bibles brought around to you. Thank you. Just one or two at the front here. Thank you. I think they're even large print as well, so for people like me. Uh, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. It is going to appear on the screen as well. Beginning at verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now I want to get straight to the heart of this passage tonight, because I think it speaks directly to us. And it's that question that the the strangely described dazzling men um, ask the women. They're probably angels. I'm sure they're angels. And this is the question they ask. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I mean, that seems like quite a strange question to ask, doesn't it? Like, these women were Jesus' friends. They, like the, the gospel accounts tell us, they were present at his crucifixion. They saw him hanging on a cross and dying, and they saw his body being placed in the tomb. They saw the tomb being sealed. So they're coming back the next day, or two days later, because Saturday was a Sabbath, so they couldn't couldn't come and anoint the body. They're coming back on the Sunday to anoint the body. Um, And so 
you know, they've seen him die, they've seen him buried. Why on earth would they think anything other than he was still very dead on the Sunday? Dead people generally stay dead, don't they? So why is the angel asking this really weird question? It sounds like he's, if I'm honest, it sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Why are you looking for the living uh, among the dead? So what's going on? Well, if we need to understand this, we're going to have to scroll back a little bit in the, in the story and listen to what Jesus told his followers a good while. So probably a year, year or two before his death. This, this is what he says to all his followers. The Son of Man, so he's talking about himself here, he's talking about Jesus. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. So you can begin to see, hold on, something's happened here. They've been told what's going to happen, but there's a disconnect. Okay, fair enough. This is interesting. Jesus has been pretty clear. But it gets even more specific. If we skip a bit further on into, this is now a couple of weeks before Jesus' death. We go to Luke chapter 18. He says, this is Jesus speaking again. Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He'll be handed over to the Romans and he'll be mocked, treated shamefully and spat upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. I mean, if we thought the first one was specific, this is like he's spelling out, isn't he? He's saying blow by blow, this is exactly what's going to happen to him. And this was just a few days before he actually died. So what's going on? The angel's question suddenly makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? What are you doing here? He told you he's going to rise again. You're looking in the wrong place. It was too good to be true. And it's not just the women at the tomb. The other disciples are the same as well. When the women go and tell them what happened, you know, they go back to the disciples. We heard it in the reading. You know, they say, we found this empty tomb. We saw the angels. And they told us that Jesus had risen again. Look at the reaction of the disciples. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Sounded like nonsense. It was too good to be true. They were in the same boat as the women. Their hearts and minds were still in the tomb. Peter even went there physically. It said it in the passage, didn't it? He went there physically to investigate if this had actually happened. It was too good to be true. And just as the angel's question stood to the women who were at the tomb 2,000 years ago, And just as the angel's question stood to the disciples who received the news, I believe that same question stands to us today. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Because however long you've been a Christian for, maybe maybe some of you aren't Christians, maybe you've been a Christian for days, months, or many, many years, however mature you are in faith, I think we all have a tendency to downplay the resurrection. It's like in our human brain capacity, we don't, we don't have the ability to sort of compute and process what God's saving, resurrecting power actually means. 
Like I've already said, like I know, I really know, I promise you I know that the resurrection happens. But often I don't really expect to see its power at work in my life. Just like the women trying to find Jesus, just like the disciples moping around, too frequently I find myself coming back to the tomb, back to the dead place, rather than looking for the life. Let me give you an example. Sorry, that wasn't the example. That was just dry throat. Um, I will give you an example. I've spoken before here about some of my journey over the past sort of two or three years. Um, and we're sort of now, uh, my family and I, now in the phase where we're coming to sort of the end of our time here in Claygate. I'm not leaving imminently, but the way that curacy works is you kind of, it's a three-year training post. So once you get to the end of your three years, it's kind of then down to you to move on and find another job kind of a vicar role effectively so at some point within the next six months um, that will probably be happening and with that comes a whole load of uncertainty and you know that's a huge deal for me and my family I've got three young children and as I speak to you right now I have no idea where we're going to go no idea no idea where God's going to call us I don't know what house we'll be living in what schools our girls are going to go to, where Megan, my wife, is going to work, what church we'll be at, what part of the country we'll be in, what part of the world we'll be in, we don't know. And my tendency is to think about the negatives. My tendency, I know, you know, I know that Jesus saved me, I know I'm going to heaven, I get that, but what if he sends me somewhere horrible to work, like the north or somewhere like that? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm half northern before anybody gets offended. My mum was from Yorkshire, I'm half northern, that was a joke. <laughs> but genuinely, what if we have to go somewhere um, that, you know, that just isn't a right fit? What if we really struggle? What if the church doesn't do worship like we have here at the Six? What if my daughters can't get a school place? What if my wife can't get a job? What if our house is, like, awful? What if my faith suffers as a result what if my children don't grow up knowing Jesus I know that in my humanness I forget the reality of the resurrection I forget that it's real my instinct I'm always going back to the tomb my instinct is to lose hope to assume the worst to settle for negativity and fear but when I do that, I am not understanding the fullness of the truth of the resurrection. If it's true, do you remember I said at the beginning, if it's true, then it's true for you. If it's true, then it's true for me. And if it's true for me, then it's true for me now, not just when I die. If you don't believe me, have a look at what the Bible says. Apostle Paul, again, writing after the resurrection to the church in Rome. He says... The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. In one of his other letters... He says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power 
that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Just take a moment to let that truth sink in. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you tonight. It's not just some of that power or something a little bit like that power. It is the same power lives in you. The moment that we first say sorry for our sins and we put our hope in Jesus, we get that exact same resurrection power living in us. Like it's not even, we, get, we don't even get a choice about it. It's there whether we like it or not. But here is the thing. It only works when we acknowledge it, when we exercise it. Because the word that Paul uses for power here in this Ephesians reading, when he says mighty power, um, in the Greek, uh, he was writing in Greek, and in, in the Greek he uses a word, I think it's pronounced dunamis, but it's like dynamis. It, it's like where we get the word dynamite from. If you think of a stick of dynamite, it's just a stick, isn't it? It can't do anything unless it comes into contact with the flame that detonates it. It's the same with God's resurrection power in us. It, we have to embrace it. We have to do something with it because otherwise it's just raw potential energy. In the same way, unless we fully welcome the reality of the resurrection, this mighty power that lives in us today, it will just sit in us, kind of dormant. If we don't move on from the tomb, like the disciples, if we're stuck in the place of the dead, then nothing, you know, we can't do anything with it. Just like the disciples who couldn't hold on to Jesus' clear promise that he was going to rise again. So we struggle to hold on to that promise that that resurrection power lives in us. Now I get it. It's easy to stand here on an Easter Sunday and kind of say this. Um, and we've all seen our hopes dashed, I'm sure, in our lives. We've all seen our failures repeat themselves. I know I have. We've all been through seasons of intense pain and loss. And please don't mishear me. The resurrection doesn't mean that we don't suffer. After all, there's no resurrection without the crucifixion. But the truth presented in the gospel is that sin does not have the last word. Fear and negativity and anxiety and worry and failure and addiction and illness and pride and selfishness do not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus has the last word. And that means that I can hold on to the truth of the resurrection, that God has good plans for me and my family. But you know what else it also means? Even if all that stuff happens, if my worst fears come to pass, I can still hold on to God's resurrection power being at work in my life. I don't need to keep coming back over here to the place of the dead, to the tomb. And you don't either. It's not too good to be true. We need to look for the life. Where tonight are you struggling to look for the life? Where do you need to know God's resurrection power? What causes you to lose hope? Is it a pattern of sinful behaviour? Is it a relationship? Is it a medical condition? Is it a hard heart? 
whatever it is, God wants to break through tonight and remind you of that same resurrection power being at work in your life. Tonight we have a choice. We can choose to be like those disciples over here in the tomb, not ready to believe with cynical hearts, looking in the place of the dead. Or we can choose to be over here, we can choose to be resurrection people, reminding ourselves of God's promises in scripture, of his resurrection power at work in our lives, in every single part of our lives. The resurrection means we get life after death, but it also means we get life during life. You know, we sang it earlier, didn't we, in one of the songs, King of Kings, for the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. He has resurrected me. Why are you looking for the living in the place of the dead? Don't go back to the tomb, because Jesus isn't there. He is alive, and he's at work in your hearts and bodies with the same power that raised him from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. And friends, I promise you, I promise you tonight, this is not too good to be true. Amen.